books are probably the most powerful ambassadors for your business that you can send out into the world. They don't take days off. They are completely reliable. They will go anywhere you send them and they are really high quality representations of who you are and who your business is. I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my nine to five job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there, and welcome to Lead with Impact. This is Brian. It is great to see you, and I'm really excited that you are here for this episode. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, in your heart of hearts, thought that you would want to write a book someday? Have you ever said, you know, I should write a book about all of this someday? Well, a lot of people that I know have said that and thought that. And if that's you, then stick around for this episode. We'll be speaking to Laura Gale, a professional ghostwriter and the author of How to Write This Book. And she'll be talking about why you should write a book and how you can write a book. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think we're going to learn a lot. So let's get right into it and meet Laura Gale. Laura Gale, welcome to Lead with Impact. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I've been looking forward to this. We've done a lot of interviews and conversations on this podcast, but I've never spoken to somebody specifically about writing. And as we were talking before we started recording, this is something that I've been thinking about lately. So I'm excited for this conversation selfishly for myself. And uh, I know that some of my listeners will benefit from it as well. So thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to jump in with you. Could you tell us, first of all, what you do and how you help people? So I am a ghostwriter. I help entrepreneurs tell their stories, basically. A lot of entrepreneurs have amazing journeys and experiences that a lot of other people could really learn from and really benefit from. But most entrepreneurs also have no time at all to, to write those stories. And, you know, it takes a lot of work to get a book out in the world. So my role is to help get the story out of the entrepreneur and into the hands of the people who need it. So um, we do that through a combination of, of interviews and, and kind of collaborative work. But my role is basically to be their voice. I write the story. They just tell me everything that needs to be in there. And I kind of go away and transform it into the final product. Beautiful. And you were very kind to say that it's a time issue, but it seems to me to be blunt that it might also be a skills issue. Just because you're an entrepreneur (laughs) probably does not mean that you are a great writer. They are very different skill sets, that's for sure. And entrepreneurs also have a lot of pressures on them. So learning the skill set of writing, particularly sort of a memoir or autobiographical form, it's not intuitive and it takes people a long time. You know, I've been writing professionally, you know, well over a decade, you know, really since I was 
18, I think is, I got paid my first writing gig. Um, so, you know, I've been doing it a long time. I studied at university. I worked in a publishing house. So I've been in it a long time. You know, that's my primary skill set. Whereas for somebody who's built their own business, leading that business is going to be their primary skill set. And it's not really the highest and best use of their time to go and figure out how to do this completely different thing. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit of your story? You gave us just a snippet, but I'd love to hear some more details. Like, how did you decide this was for you? And maybe what projects did you work on at the publishing house? And then how did you decide to go do this on your own? Well, I grew up in a reading family. You're much more likely to find me and my sisters curled up with books than, you know, doing just about anything else. Um, so it's kind of always been there in the background, but the uh, impetus for this was, you know, I really loved English classes in school and, you know, I, I kind of always knew I was going to end up doing something wordy. Uh, so I, I went into this writing and publishing degree and, you know, it just came very naturally. I think, um, you know, I, I was sort of set up for it really and getting the, I got an internship in this publishing house and I was very fortunate because this is one of the biggest publishers in the world and, you know, getting a foot in the door is not easy, but I volunteered my time for free and they were like, great, sure, let's do it. Um, so I had been there for quite a while sort of volunteering and just being a dog's body basically. And uh, the woman I answered to resigned. And so they offered me her role. Um, the next couple of years were a wild learning curve. Publishing is a very interesting industry. There's a lot of change that has been going on in the last decade or so, um, you know, as eBooks and, and sort of audio books and all of this, these different formats have really come into being the, the industry has had to adapt a lot. So I kind of, um, I got started around the time that the twilight phenomenon was going on. I don't know if you remember, you know, this, wave of vampire books that came out. Um, so I was, you know, on the publicity team at that point, um, worked with some really amazing authors. I worked on Tina Fey's uh, Bossy Pants release. Um, you know, I've I just, the end of the process, I was a junior publicist, you know, I was not, can't take any credit for that, but was on that team and, and worked on Nelson Mandela's memoir and, you know, some really amazing um, opportunities there. But in 2011, I believe it was the, um, you know, Amazon was kind of really in full steam and about 70% of my company got laid off um, because the, the publishing industry just wasn't keeping up with how the market was changing and the demands that people were kind of presenting the industry. So I was really fortunate to keep my job, but I just thought like writing's on the wall here. Like I've got to figure out how to do something else. Um, because, you know, I love this industry, but there might not be a job for me this time next year. So I had always loved the idea of working for myself, you know, not having to show up to an office every day. And, you know, I had been fortunate to meet a few people who were kind of figuring out the freelance thing. And so I sort of would sidle up, like, how do you, how are you doing this? Like, how, how do you get people to pay you if you don't, you know, if they're not employing you? Um, so that was sort of a long learning curve, but got it figured out and uh, about a year later had um, my first paying clients and, and moved overseas. Sydney's an expensive city to live in when you're just figuring out how to make money on your own. So I moved, uh, moved to Asia and just figured it out. And now, um, yeah, along the way I've lived in the US and in Germany, in 
Croatia. Now I live in Lisbon in Portugal. So, you know, I've, it's been a really fun process and it's given me a lot of cool opportunities to live a little bit differently. That's amazing. And I never really thought of it like this, but it sounds like to me, sort of like streaming disrupted the music business. Self-publishing on platforms like Amazon must have really disrupted the publishing business. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a completely, completely unforeseen, you know, maybe they should have been able to predict it, but people just weren't thinking about it at all. And it just completely turned the industry on its head. Amazing. Well, it sounds like you have made the most of it. And then how does one decide, and maybe you sort of answered this, how does one become a ghostwriter? Where, where does that process start? So when I got started, I was doing content marketing. So helping people write blog posts and articles and, you know, helping with their website copy and whatever. And a client asked me um, after I had done some, some content work for him, like you used to work in, in publishing, you could figure out how to write a book. And I said, well, maybe, yeah, I could try, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're game, I'm game. Um, so he said, yeah, go ahead, just give it a shot. So it was a very um, organic process. I figured, okay, I have spoken, spoken to many authors about their process and sort of watched from afar as they were doing it, you know, while I was at the publishing house. So, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And yeah, it came together. He was really happy with the end product and told a bunch of people about it. And, and then other people started asking. So within a year or so, um, that was all I was doing. You know, they're, they're much more in-depth projects. They take a much longer time, um, but they're also really satisfying to, to work on. And so um, there weren't many other people offering the service either. So there's a lot of writers out there, a lot of content marketers. And so it was a great opportunity for me to sort of differentiate myself from other people out there. And, and it's, uh, you know, that was six years ago and I've been doing it happily ever since. What does the process look like for you for writing? As we shared, I've sort of been working on, I haven't announced this anywhere, but I've been working on a book and I've been trying to figure out like, literally, where do I go to write physically? What's the best environment? When do I do it? Do I do it when the mood strikes me or is it something regimented? What's that look like for you? Well, the pre-pandemic routine was a little bit different to what it has been more recently, but ideally I would have maybe three hours in the morning um, in a relatively dynamic environment. I really like working in coffee shops and kind of public spaces where you're not actually really interacting with anybody else. I like having that energy around, having people to watch and music in the background. And, you know, there's, there's things going on, there's energy happening around you, but you're not forced to engage with it. People are not interrupting you and that kind of thing. Um, I find working in silent spaces very difficult because there's no it's not dynamic. It's not, you know, there's not inspiration kind of coming to you from just where you're hanging out. Um, so as I say, usually two or three hours of good writing in the morning is, is ideal. Um, that's definitely my most creative time. I can write later in the day, but it, it takes me longer and I'm a bit less clear. Um, so I really like to have that morning time protected whenever I can. Um, fortunately living in Europe, all of my clients are, in the US, so I'm several hours ahead. So usually that kind of happens by default. Um, 
But yeah, normally I, I run out of steam after about three hours. You know, I've got three good, productive, creative hours and then I'm done for the day. I need to have a sleep if I'm going to start again. Um, you know, afternoons are great for admin and, and all of the kind of logistical parts of running a business, but the actual output happens in, in those few hours. I was doing two hour blocks. So now you've, you've, you know, you've inspired me to up my game. I, I'm sure I could, <laughs> I'm sure I could probably do three. And uh, it's funny when you talk about the cafe, I've run into some of the same problems. I actually use, uh, there's actually YouTube videos with like cafe sounds, mm-hmm. or yes. library sounds. I would literally put that on in the background, just try to replicate because it's just it feels weird just sitting there in silence taping away. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Why should entrepreneurs Why write your books? Businesses? Basically, I think there's no better way to communicate your value, to communicate your authority, to communicate um, who you are and who you want to work with than through a book. Culturally, we really value books. You know, they've been around for a very long time and we consider them important artifacts. Uh, you know, we sort of revere authors and if even in this age of self-publishing, when it's not as hard as it used to be to do it, there are still a lot of hurdles to get through. Um, and you're discovering this at this stage, Brian, that there's a lot you have to do to get a book out. You've really got to be determined to do it. Um, it's not just a one-click thing. So it really does separate you from your competition. I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, it creates a moat around their business that their competition really just can't cross um, because you know, once you are out and up and running with a book, you know, the, the time for somebody to catch up with you is, is going to be pretty significant. So it's a great way to differentiate, differentiate yourself and to really prove to your market um, that you are as good as you say you are. To me, just the process of getting started for so long just seemed immensely intimidating. Mm. I like to read a book, but when I'm looking at a book with two or 300 pages full of sharp, witty writing that keeps me engaged all the way through, it can almost seem like a monumental task to try and do something like that, which I guess is to your point, a great moat, because whether it's that long or whatever form it takes just to get something to that state takes a lot of work. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I think this is the great thing is that if you can get yourself past all of those hurdles, you have just built this asset that just keeps on giving, you know, you're going to just be able to use it for so many different parts of your business. You can put it in your marketing. You can use it as a way to get speaking engagements. You can get it as a way to get past gatekeepers. You know, if you're trying to get to your ideal clients, you know, there's just so many ways that you can put it to use. And so while it is a lot of work, it is also very well worth it. So let's say someone listens to you today and they say, you know, Laura is right. I should write a book, but I'm really not confident in my writing skills. How can they get better? Read a lot. Read Mm -hmm. the kind of books that you want to write. You know, if you're wanting to write an autobiography, don't spend your time reading thrillers you know, read the stuff that you want to write because then you start to get a feel for what makes it work. You know, what kind of pacing makes that work? What kind of information does the reader need to have to stay engaged? What kind of language is going to keep people coming back? You know, there's, there are replicable formats 
in, in writing. And, you know, people, when you feel like your writing isn't quite where you want it to be, it's often because you're missing a part of the genre. Like you don't understand part of the format of this particular type of book. So if you spend a lot of time reading those books, then you'll start to see patterns um, in what makes the good ones really shine. Um, obviously practicing your own writing and trying to sort of deconstruct the stuff that needs to be improved is, is really valuable. Um, Ira Glass, who's the NPR host of This American Life, talks about the gap and it's, it's this idea that you have good taste, you can see when something is great and you can see when what you've produced isn't as good as you want it to be. And that gap is where the practice has to happen, right? You know, you have to kind of keep pushing and trying to make that gap gradually smaller and smaller until your taste and your ability meet. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. You know, if you're starting out as a writer, then it's going to take a while for your taste and your ability to coincide. But, you know, a lot of reading and a lot of practice is going to help. Um, but there's a lot of information out there too. You know, I wrote a whole book detailing my exact process so that people can shortcut that process. You know, it doesn't have to be that you figure it out by yourself, you know, all, all through trial and error. It doesn't have to be you on your own. Um, there's, there's a massive information out there to help you do it. I think part of it is just realizing you're probably not going to be your favorite author overnight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Takes time. <laughs> and you'll never be your favorite author. I don't know anybody who looks at books that they've written and think like, that's amazing. I'm really, really so happy with every part of that book. Like every writer I know reads their past stuff and goes, Ugh, oh, I need to change all of that. So the short answer to the question, how can they get better is buy your book. <laughs> it's a step. It's not the only solution, but it's a step. <laughs> Excellent. Let me uh, drill into it from a different way because A, I'm going to go buy your book after this is done uh, because as I mentioned, I'm just starting to get started and I want to get better at my writing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to some help there. But what are some of the biggest technical problems, or maybe we could say skills-based problems that people have when they write too plainly? Is it they write too much, they don't condense well? What are some of the issues that you see? I think writing plainly is actually a gift for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, people try to complicate things too much and it distracts from the actual message. But I would say that there are three big issues that I see over and over again. Um, the first is no clear what's called premise. So premise is basically the big idea that you're setting out to prove when you write this book. So you can call it a North star idea. You can call it the strategic intent of the book, but there's, you know, one big overarching idea that you need to have because that gives you a filter for the information that does and does not belong in this particular book. So I think where a lot of people go wrong is that they try to put all their information, all their knowledge and experience into a single thing. Um, whereas, the book is going to benefit a lot from a much narrower field of focus. So being very clear about who your reader is and what they need to learn from this book is going to help a lot. And then having a very clear premise and argument that you are intending to prove by writing this book, that's going to give you a, a very simple yes, no filter. Does this information belong in this book or do, do I need to save that for a different project? So that would be step one is just be very clear about the intent of the book. Uh, the second thing would be uh, information hierarchy. So there, it's very easy to sort of just jump straight into everything you know, all of your experience and everything without giving people context. And 
you need to think of people's knowledge as kind of um, a hierarchy of, of needs almost. You need to create a foundation so that they have the basics. They have a very clear understanding of like the basic, basic stuff that you're talking about so that as you layer on information, um, they come with you. You don't lose people because you're talking about stuff that's further ahead than, than they have kind of kept up with. Um, entrepreneurs kind of have this curse of knowledge, right? That they have so much experience that they forget what other people don't know. They have no concept that other people don't know everything that they know. Um, so you do need to make sure that you've figured out what do people need to know to come with me? What do they need to believe? Um, what do they need to feel for me to continue progressing through this information and kind of get them to the end of the book to a point where they agree with my premise and they go off and take the action that I want them to take. So make sure you're creating an information hierarchy that leads them very consistently and clearly through that process. Um, and then the third thing I would say is uh, you need a narrative thread. So it's one thing to present a whole lot of information just, you know, piece by piece, but humans are very hardwired for story. So if you can wrap your information in a story, it's going to be much, much more effective and impactful. So you can do that by telling multiple small stories that all sort of point to the same proof. Um, or you can use one big overarching story that kind of um, envelops the entire book. But either way, you need to be able to present the information in a way that people are going to absorb it. It's one thing just to be able to put the words down, but people need to be able to understand them. And having a story as the backdrop to your information is going to make it much, much easier for people to understand. I think that can be the tricky part for some people. But the simpler we can make it and the more engaging, I think, the better. I think you're absolutely right. What do you think about a genre of books uh, that I sort of, I've never, you know, I've never thought about writing one, but I think they're really effective. Those sort of um, like nonfiction fiction stories where they tell a story to sort of teach a lesson. Uh, one of my favorites is a book called The Go-Giver. I don't know if you've ever read it by an artist named Bob Berg or a writer named Bob Berg, but it tells a story of somebody who is struggling in business. And then instead of Bob Berg telling you what to do, you sort of learn as the character learns the lessons. Yes. I think those books have been tremendously successful. I mean, that's a great example. I think the E-Myth is another one. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's some really um, powerful examples of that. I think if you can make it work and you can straddle that line between teaching and, and fiction, amazing. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the easiest uh, format to write in um, because you're sort of then juggling all of the information that you're trying to impart to your reader, as well as making basically a novel. Um, you know, it, it's, it's two books, you know, in, in one cover. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it, it takes a lot of work for sure, but I think if you can do it, it's amazing. It's a great way to yeah. teach. I think I'm going to hire a ghostwriter if I ever decide to do one of those. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right, it does sound difficult, but I love those kinds of books. They're so easy mm. to consume and to learn from. What do you know about writing and launching books that you wish people would ask you more often? Oh, good question. Um, I think what I wish people understood was that getting to publication day is only half the journey. Mm -hmm. uh, the marketing is just an absolutely critical piece if you want the book 
to go out and perform for you. Um, you know, the, there can be a lot of fatigue that sets in with this process because it might take you six months to write the draft, another six months to edit. And then you kind of get to the, the day where it's available for sale and it's so exciting. But if nobody knows that it's out, then all of that work has been for nothing. And so there needs to be a lot of marketing that happens before publication day, you want, it's just like any other product launch. You really want to make sure that you're leading people up to that date with lots of anticipation. If you can take pre-orders, that's great. You know, line up some promotional partners, make sure that everything is in place to have a big launch day. Um, and then, you know, think about some strategies for after launch day, because you know, that day is great and it's exciting, but it's not necessarily going to sustain the level of sales that you want to see over the long term. So how are you going to market the book um, in, in a consistent, sustainable way? So thinking about these things is really important because yeah, getting the book actually out is only, is only half the process. So what are a couple of strategies that maybe someone can do pre-launch and then maybe one or two after launch? So pre-launch, if you have an existing audience and you're, say, doing email marketing, I would say sending a campaign, you know, leading up to the book uh, coming out, just letting people know that it's coming, um, you know, answering some common questions that people might have about it, sort of seeding the kind of information people are going to get, pointing them to a pre-order page so that they can just pay for it now while they're thinking about it and then they'll get it when it's released. You know, Amazon has a very easy pre-order campaign functions. So if you're self-publishing, that's very easy to do. Um, and it's just a great way to engage your audience early on, you know, particularly if you sort of think about while you're still in the production stage with your book, asking them for feedback on the title and the cover and involving them and giving them some ownership in the project so that when the time comes, they feel really invested in, in the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something, I mean, joint partnerships are always a great option if you can contact some people who have, you know, particularly people who you already have a relationship with, um, who might promote your book to their lists or their audiences, um, you know, incentivize them in some way to, to help you share it. That's also going to be very powerful. Other people's audiences are always um, really powerful um, promotional sort of spaces. So I would say, probably your email marketing or, you know, whatever kind of marketing you're already really good at and where you already have a really good relationship with your audience, focus on that for the pre-launch stuff, as well as any joint partnerships you can arrange. Um, in terms of the ongoing stuff, people disregard traditional media a lot um, now that the internet has kind of come into supremacy. And so, you know, go to your local radio station, your local TV or a newspaper, because those, those platforms are starved for information. You know, they're sort of picking up the dregs of what, you know, the big networks and, and what the internet is, is covering. So if you go with, go to them with original content and say, you know, you could be the first person to talk about this. Um, you know, the, the hometown boy or girl makes good story is always very appealing, you know, particularly in close knit communities. And then once you've got some of that coverage, you can kind of leverage it to bigger outlets. So that's something to think about, but, you know, also keep doing the stuff that you're good at. If you're already really dialed in with Facebook ads and you've got a really great backend system for, for, you know, turning those leads into productive clients, then, you know, plug the book into that in some way. Um, you know, there are, there are many, many ways you can utilize it. It's sky's the limit as far as, you know, imagination goes there, but there are 
honestly many, many opportunities for people and they're, they're organic, you know, they keep on coming the more often you look for them. I made a list. That's great advice. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> and isn't it true? A couple more questions about this. So it seems to me that if an entrepreneur writes a book who say a coach consultant like myself or whatever they are, even if it didn't sell a lot, just having that book and sort of establishing themselves as a thought leader would be worthwhile. Obviously the perfect world is where it sells a ton and you have credibility. Is there something to be said for just even having it so that you can show people and use it to sort of build your professional reputation? Absolutely. I think there's, um, as I said earlier, there's a lot of cachet in being an author. People really revere authors. And so that's definitely powerful. It gives you an opportunity, even if your focus is not sales, um, you can use it to uh, show speaking opportunities that you're going to be a good bet for being on stage at their events. You can use it as a way to get podcast interviews. And so all of these are great options when you're trying to kind of become more of that thought leader, become more publicly known. Um, obviously being able to say, you know, I was a bestseller or I've sold X amount of copies in Y amount of time, you know, all of these are great evidence that, you know, the book is, is good and that you're what you say you are, but you can definitely use it on your website as an authority marker, there's, you can put it in your emails. There's just a lot of ways you can use it without it having to necessarily sell very much um, to, to get that credibility. Do you have a rule of thumb? And I'm sure you're going to tell me this all depends, but a uh, <laughs> sort of a rule of thumb for what it makes sense for someone to invest in a book uh, compared to the ROI that they can typically, typically expect to get back from it. So you're right. It does depend. Um, it depends a lot on the experience of the writer that you work with. Um, if they're very early to their career, then, you know, you're probably expecting to pay in the 10 to 15,000 range. If they're very, very experienced, you know, they've won Pulitzer prizes and they're an amazing journalist, they've broken crazy stories, then maybe it's going to be closer to the hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, pretty squarely in the middle of that. I've got lots of experience, but I'm not famous. And yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, there's the, the thing is that for most of the people I work with, they've got a whole backend offering where they've got very high ticket items on sale and maybe they only need to sell one or two of those in order to recoup the cost of the book. So mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for in clients is, you know, are you going to see just a no brainer return on this. You know, I really want it to be very valuable for you because it is a big investment and it does take a lot of time. Um, and so I want it to be really, really worthwhile. Um, so when someone can say, yeah, I, all I have to sell is one item and I'm, I'm good. That's, that's kind of the sweet spot, I think. Fantastic. One last question about this. Well, I can't promise it'll be the last, but I have one more question about this. As someone who, like I, I shared earlier, is getting started down this path, I was, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but very taken back, or at least a little taken back about the number of different things that happen to make your book a real thing. So like we said earlier, just taking the pen or the keyboard and putting those first words down is a hurdle until you get done. But then there's an editor, there's picking a book cover, and then something I didn't even know existed is that even designing the internal part of a page, like the spacing and the font and uh, 
just the design, what are the chapter numbers going to look like? What are the page numbers going to look like? That's a thing that I didn't even know was a thing. Yep, has to happen. <laughs> so I guess you have a resource to sort of help people through all that because that can seem intimidating as well. Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of that is in the book that I mentioned. Um, but basically, there are, it's a bit of an arcane process, you know, it's always been done this particular way. And so we keep on doing it this particular way. So, you know, there are inefficiencies in the process, but you need a cover, you need an ISBN, which is an identifying number. If you're printing the books, uh, then you need barcodes, you need, obviously, the front cover. If you're doing print books, you need cover with a back cover and a spine, you know, you need the internal files, you need all of your accounts. So if you're listing on Amazon and Kobo and Apple and, you know, there's all of these different platforms that you have to manage. You can list it on distribution networks, which is, you know, going to put them on libraries and wholesalers and all this sort of thing. So it really does depend how in-depth into this process you want to get, but there are many steps and it does help to at least just have a chat with somebody who understands the landscape and can kind of talk you through what needs to happen and when and sort of what costs to expect and what timelines you need to be sort of sticking to. There is a lot to manage. So yeah, having, having someone to help you kind of navigate all of that can be very helpful. Yes. Thank you for clearing that up. And I hope by sharing that and you doing it, we're not, stopping anybody from starting because no you could at the, at the worst you can get started and figure these things out as you get to them right absolutely and i mean google is an amazing resource there is nothing it cannot tell you um it will it'll all be there you know and there's massive information that's been published about this process there are lots of bloggers out there lots of people who are ready to help and I mean, it's a, the self-publishing community is also very supportive. You know, people have been where you are and they want you to win. So, you know, people are really happy to help. Um, but, you know, again, exactly as you're saying, I don't want people to get psyched out about this process because the most important thing is to remember why you're doing this in the first place. You know, you want to connect with your readers. You want to help people transform their lives with your story and, you know, that's, that's a really powerful and important thing to be doing. So don't let the minutia get in your way. Love that. A couple of more questions for you. If you had to sum up in two or three sentences, everything you would like a listener today to take away from this conversation, what would it be? If you have a story to tell, don't put off telling it just because you're not you know, quote unquote famous enough or successful enough or rich enough or interesting enough, even you have something important to say and there's someone who needs to hear it. So if you feel like you've got a story in there, then get to work getting it out. And the beautiful thing, if I can throw in one point from my perspective about living right now is you no longer need anybody's permission. Absolutely. You have all of the tools at your fingertips. If you can listen to this podcast, you can write a book. That's amazing. And here's a personal question for you, because as a writer, I know there's an answer to this question. You must have this. What is your next great book? <laughs> mm, that's a secret at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was an answer. There had to be an answer. It's just whether you're going to, going to tell me or not. I am currently in process of working on a more personal story. Um, compared to some of the business stuff that I've been more focused on recently. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm planning to take 
couple of months off later in the year to just focus on that. So hopefully I'll be able to give you a bit more of a detailed answer next time we talk. And that will be the opus? Well, I'm pretty young to write an opus. So, you know, let's, let's say a step on the road to the opus. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, I would love to have you come back when that is released or maybe before it's released so we can build okay. up some traction like you just <laughs> taught me and uh, we can get that going. But I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on here. Thank you for being so generous with the information that you shared. Oh, we have to talk about your book. Where can people find your book? <laughs> So it's called How to Write This Book, and it's all about how to write, market, and publish your business bestseller. So you can get a free copy of that on my website. So if you go to lauraiswriting.com, uh, a little pop-up will appear as you scroll down the page, and if you just pop your email in there, I will send you a PDF copy. Right. Lauraiswriting.com. That's it. You're, you're going to see me on there as soon as I get done with this. I'm going to Perfect. download it. <laughs> and I hope a lot of other people do as well, because I'm sure it's going to be great. And as I was saying, thank you for your generosity. It has been uh, an enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I've had a blast. This is Brian, and I hope this episode inspired and educated you. And I hope you are thinking about writing your book. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you could hop over to the channel on which you found us, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify or Amazon Music, and subscribe or follow our podcast. That would be super helpful. In the meantime, go out there, be great, and lead with impact. <laughs>